Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Butter Running Show. Show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Butter Running Show is hosted by Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome to the Partner Running Show on this uh, 7th or 6th of April 2015, no matter where you may be in the world. A uh, very special show today. Slight, Slightly different format to yes. the usual Partner Running Show. So those, for those Ask Sue fans, they're just going to have to wait because there's no Ask Sue today. We're devoting the whole show to talking, to, talking about the Keys 100. You have to go back, and some of our listeners will recall, and certainly we wrote about it in our book, when I first ran a marathon, the Comrades Marathon was the... So the elusive, one of these days I'm going to get to that. And, uh, of course, we did that several years ago. And um, the next race, which over the last probably four or five years has caught my interest, is the Keys 100. Again, it's one of those uh, great, great challenges. And uh, just to set the scene, uh, about 10 days ago, um, somebody who has run the Keys 100 and, and knows what a wonderful race is posted into one of our local running groups, the... Um, Surf Coast Trail Runners about the Keats 100 and trying to get some people from Australia to think about the interest and so we sparked up a little conversation. Anyway, as by way of a bit of a long-winded introduction, that takes us, brings us to our special guest today and we have the race director of the Keys 100, Bob Becker with us uh, to take us through the race and uh, if you get any calls, answer some questions and, and learn all about the Keys 100. So Bob, welcome to the Partner Running Show. Andrew and Sue, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep, this is a super exciting race. We might um, just get you to tell us the the, the brief uh, description, I suppose, of the Keys 100, and then we're going to ask you a little about you as a runner and then get into really you know, exploring everything Keys 100. So first of all, what is the Keys 100? The Keys 100 is an ultramarathon in uh, Florida, in the Florida Keys, which is basically uh, portions of an ancient coral reef. It's like an exposed coral archipelago that goes from the Florida mainland out south and west in a series of islands that end in Key West, which is just 90 miles from Cuba. You've got the Atlantic Ocean on one side and Florida Bay, which is part of the Gulf of Mexico, on the other side. So it's a, um, a very, very beautiful environment. If you like tropical climate and you like turquoise, you'll see a lot of pretty color out there. Um, the race has actually four specific events. Um, it's called the Keys 100 because one of them is a 100-mile individual race, point-to-point uh, point from Key Largo, the first major key or island, down to Key West. There's also a 50-mile individual race and a 50-kilometer individual race and a six-person 100-mile team relay race, all going on at the same time uh, as people run across these many islands. Uh, of the keys. In a, in yeah, a nutshell, um, that is that's the story. <laughs> oh, very that's exciting! What, yeah, what a story it is. Yes, we've driven the course, <laughs> and we can sort we can visualise it. But for our listeners that haven't been down that part of the world, um, are we talking about undulating countryside? Are we talking about flat? Or what sort of description would you give it? Um, the the keys are are very very flat. Uh, it's a totally flat course. 
uh, with the exception of a small number of bridges that, uh, were, that where you do have some elevation. But in effect, it's a flat uh, road race or pavement race um, along the and parallel to the one road that connects all of these islands. Uh, the, the Florida Keys uh, have hundreds and hundreds of islands, many of them small. But the, the primary islands are uh, connected by one main road. Uh, there are over 40 islands that are connected so that literally people running this race are running over 40 bridges across 40 islands as they make their way to the finish line in Key West. Uh, the, um, the climate is, by design, in mid-May when the race is held, May 16th this year. Uh, it's hot, the weather's humid, it's tropical climate. Um, and it was intentionally designed that way. Uh, so the challenge is, of course, distance, but it's also the challenge of the heat in dealing with um, the, the distance that runners choose to go. Uh, but it's a very, very unique tropical environment and a very, very beautiful place indeed. So, Bob, before we, we really, uh, I suppose, explore in detail the, the race, let's just mm -hmm. go back a titch and um, find out a little bit about uh, Bob Becker, the runner, and how Bob Becker, the runner, became uh, Bob Becker, the race director. So, first of all, um, how did you get started running? <laughs> well, I, I ran uh, I ran track back in high school. Um, ran the mile in high school and played sports. And after high school, I really didn't run. Um, I played sports my whole life. I'd run a little bit to stay in shape, but I didn't run competitively at all until uh, about um, 13, 14 years ago in 2002. I, I, I got a call from some friends who were running their first marathon, and they said, why don't you join us? It was in the state of Minnesota. And I said, well, you know, it sounds like a great excuse to see my friends and have a party, so I'm going to do that. So I went to a running store. I bought a pair of running shoes. I trained hard and went up to do what I thought would be a, a one-and-done, a one-time marathon. Uh, but I ran pretty well, and I qualified for Boston, and I thought, well, I've got to run the Boston Marathon if I have the opportunity to. Uh, trained a little harder, ran Boston the next year. And with a group of people that I was training with, uh, one day one of them said to me, have you ever heard of the Marathon de Sable? It's an ultramarathon that's run in the Sahara Desert, Morocco, and I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. I'd never heard of an ultramarathon, so I went home, I checked it out. I said, this sounds like a very exciting thing to do, and the next week I asked, uh, I asked him if, uh, I said, don't you have a birthday ending in a zero next year? And he said, yes. And I said, well, so do I. Why don't we celebrate instead of staying home and eating cake? Let's go over to Morocco and run this race. And uh, just like that, we trained and, and ran the Marathon de Sable, and when I came home, I realized how much fun I'd had and how great it was to not only run these distances, but how phenomenal the people were that I met and that seemed to be part of this whole scene. And there were no ultra marathons in South Florida, none at all. And so after a while, we, uh, this friend of mine and I decided to just to take a look and see if it would be reasonable to create a mar an ultra, not having any idea what we were getting into. And we thought living in South Florida that the Keys would be an ideal potential location for a race. So in 2007, five of us got together and uh, went down there and ran the distance and realized, you know, this is going to be this is going to be a great thing. This is what we want to do. And in the meantime, I started getting into running ultras uh, myself around the country. Um, I got involved with Badwater as a crew for a friend of mine. Badwater is the race out in Death Valley, 
Classic 135-mile race, and has since run that twice myself. Uh, my first 100-miler was in 2007, actually, in Texas, Rocky Raccoon. I've since run three times. And I just found the the people that I met, the the whole challenge of running these kinds of distances to be just tremendously challenging and tremendously fun. And um, one thing led to another. The Keys 100 developed into a, a popular race over time. Circumstances were such that I realized if it was going to be done and done right, I'd have to really spend full time at it. And so it evolved without a great deal of planning or forethought. It just sort of happened. And, uh, and here I am. It's what I do full time now. That's a great story, Bob. And also I think there's a little bit of maybe underestimation of Bob's running abilities to qualify for Boston and then run some of these absolutely challenge, challenging is the word I comes to mind, but right on the edge races. Uh, I think there's a lot more to this man than uh, merely I'm a runner who likes running long. Oh, uh, well, the, uh, it's kind of, again, the sort of the the Facebook connection to our local group from one of the Keys 100 runners and, and uh, I think MDS Marathon Sub is on as we speak. It's on this yeah, week, Bob. it is. That's right. That's kind of, yes, it is. It's kind of, uh, just a day or two ago. Nice, nice timing to, that we're talking to you at the same time as that's on. So out of all of those events you've done, is the one that really stands out for you as, as being... As a participant, we should say. Yeah, yes. yes. As, a, as being more, even more special than the rest? Yeah, if if I if I may mention two of them, <laughs> one of yeah. them is a stage race like MDS here in the United States called the Grand to Grand Ultra, and a very very similar format, very similar distance, 160 miles or so, 250 or so kilometers. That's run from the north rim of the Grand Canyon uh, in Arizona out through Utah, through and around many of the national parks out there. Absolutely spectacular scenery. A very similar race at one I did the first year, I think three years ago, was I, one I'd recommend to anybody. It was really a lot of fun. Um, but a, a typical or a real ultra, uh, Badwater is the race for me. Um, this year I'll be running Badwater again. I've run it. This will be my third time. Uh, but I've been out there now eight years in a row. If I haven't, if I wasn't running it, I was crewing for someone else. I ran uh, the race uh, uh, for the first time in 2008. And I ran it again last year when I was actually the oldest guy in the race, and uh, I did pretty well. I finished 50th out of the 97 who started. I felt pretty good about that finish. Um, and for those who don't know, Badwater begins at the lowest point uh, in the Western Hemisphere, 282 feet below sea level, and uh, crosses um, through Death Valley, California, and uh, on a point-to-point basis out to Mount, Mount Whitney, which at its summit is the highest peak in the lower 48 states the race actually ends at 8500 feet at the end of the road where you would actually uh, begin to the mountain climb itself Um, it's a certainly one of the great iconic races in the world mds is certainly another one and it's just one uh it's just a race where i just love the culture and 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 the challenge Uh, this year i'm going to attempt something that uh will you'll, you'll know i'm certifiable um there are 27 people who actually completed Badwater, then summited Whitney, which is another 11 miles, turned around and gone back to the start of the race at the Badwater Basin. It's 292 miles and called, referred to as the Badwater Double. I'm going to attempt to do it this year as the 
oldest person ever completed was 58, and I want to see if I can up that number a little bit. So there you go. That's my uh, that's my story. Wow, that is phenomenal. And we we um we well we we got to be careful here because we could spend an hour just talking to you yes. about your running. Because I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> I've had a lot of questions come to mind just with that, with nutrition, with uh, keeping yourself going, maybe, with managing injuries. But they've got to wait right, for maybe, another day. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe we can. Um, Call on Bob again another time to explore those things. Um, Bob, while, while we are just as a bit of a connection, um, it seems to me, and a few people have suggested to us that for people who might be aspiring to run Badwater, that the Keys 100 would be a a, um, a great training proving ground, a great step up, a great way of building your resume to give yourself a chance to to be lucky to be selected for Badwater. Is that a reasonable approach? Yes, it absolutely is. In fact, many many runners have used uh, have run the Keys in part as a training race for Badwater, which is generally about 60 days or so later. So the timing is very good. What it does is it gives you uh, two opportunities to somewhat emulate the conditions at Badwater. The first is the heat, and even though the, the heat at Badwater is the you know so-called dry heat, it's desert heat and not the humid heat in Florida. It's still a, a challenge, and it still gives you every opportunity to be exposed to that that critical factor in both races. And the second thing it does is um, it allows you the opportunity, if you choose to have a crew with you supporting you in the Keys, uh, you must have a crew at Badwater. So it gives you the opportunity to bring your crew with you and sort of practice uh, at, at the Keys 100 for what you must do when you get out uh, to Death Valley. Yeah, that is very true because for a lot of people, running with a crew over that length of time is something that does become a finely oiled machine. Um, so I'm sure that there are a few mistakes along the way. Okay, so let's uh, let's really zero in now on the Keys 100. So, so Bob, one of the things we know that people uh, often do is either while listening in live uh, as we're on the air now or afterwards when they're listening to the podcast, they like to check out the race at the same time. So where do people go online to find out about the Keys 100? The best spot is the website, and it's simply keys100.com. That's really the best place. We certainly have the Facebook presence as well. But there is a lot of information on the website, including a lot of tips on um, how, to, how to prepare and deal with the heat, uh, uh, how, to, uh, how to structure a crew, and, and many, many other tips that I think would be very helpful to somebody considering a race. And, and the beauty of the website too is on the left-hand side, you just can't miss it, is the, you mentioned Facebook, there's the, the big button that says find us on Facebook. So mm. you can just click from the website at www.keys100.com and that will take you straight on to Facebook. It's also got, I think, uh, as you said, Bob, lots of great information, but probably one of the best race maps that I've seen. And And... I mean, I think it's partly the story's there to be told about the beautiful course through the Keys 100, but the way you've put together the race uh, map in sort of the, the overall, but then the stages and, and showing people all the tips of where, to, where you can go and not run and, you know, where, where to meet crews and all, all the little instructions along the way, it, it's just, uh, I think you can't help but get excited just by looking at the map, let alone the rest of the site. So that's fantastic. But while we're well, thank, that, thank you for that, Andrew. I'm sorry. Yep, no, sorry. I was just going to say, with the cruise, there is the other aspect that you don't actually have to run with a crew. 
No, you don't. Um, and by the way, I also want to add one other thing about it in comparing, comparing it or preparing for bad water, and that is that this is a road race, and so many ultramarathons uh, around the world and here in the States are not road races, they're trail races. So this is another important element of preparing for bad water, which is totally run on pavement as well. But to answer your question, um, we have a, a very, very uh, heavily stocked aid stations at, at 10 mile intervals along the course, um, plus a couple of extras. So, uh, and where we do not have a staffed aid station at every five miles, we have water and ice. So people can, um, uh, can run this race without a crew, uh, plenty of, uh, of access to water, ice, food, sports drinks, electrolyte replacement products, and so on. They can also leave drop bags, personal drop bags at five locations along the route. So there's a tremendous amount of support uh, for those who are running with or without a crew um, uh, in, in the Keys 100. Yeah, and that's um, and that is important as you mentioned about the ice and water, and, and because that's one of the conditions that runners really have to deal with is the humidity. Absolutely, um, you know, whether whether it's training or running the race itself, uh, you need to stay ahead of the heat uh, for those people who wind up dropping out of the race and and uh some do uh it's inevitably related to the heat that they didn't stay on top of it um you know we spent a lot of uh, a lot of time and effort on the website suggesting ways to um, prepare for the race but not everybody does uh, what we recommend or able to stay on top of it but it's very important not only to hydrate obviously uh and to replace electrolytes and salt that you're losing through sweat but also to be taking in calories uh, of your choice to be sure that your, uh, your your nutrition is is part of your of the program, and what we highly recommend is actually wearing ice in an ice bandana around your neck, uh, in a baggie under a hat. Be sure you're wearing a hat with a neck drape to keep the sun off as much as possible. Some people will run the race in long sleeves, and some even in long pants, uh, as some runners do at, at Badwater. But the main thing is to stay ahead of it. And uh, using ice uh, effectively, taking advantage of it because it's there, uh, is uh, is vital to success, to being successful in this race. So, Bob, let, let's go back and, and um, talk about the the different events and the courses for each one. So, so first of all, the the Keys 100, the 100 miler, that's sort of the, I suppose the the longest of the events. Uh, start, finish, highlights of the course. The, um, the race starts in, in Key Largo, which is um, the really the first of the keys as you leave the mainland south of Miami and head out onto the islands. The Key, key Largo is the first of the keys and one of the larger ones. The race uh, pre-race activities, orientation meetings uh, are there. And uh, on Saturday morning this year, the 16th of May, we start at about 5.30 in the morning. And uh, because of our numbers now, which I can certainly talk about, uh, we stagger the start. We have both the 100-mile individual race, and we will have close to 200 runners this year doing that, and the 100-mile relay race. And we'll have close to 150 teams this year uh, starting uh, at that location in Key Largo and running um, the 100 miles all the way to Key West. Now, it is a pavement race. It's a road race, uh, and there is just one road that goes uh, all the way and connects all the islands, goes all the way to Key West. But uh, 75 to 80 percent of this race is actually not on the road. It's on uh, bike paths, uh, uh, 
pedestrian bridges that are parallel to the road, main road bridges, um, old service roads. So there's a, there are these various pavement areas that are connected that uh, mean that our people are off the roadway for all but about 20 or 25 percent of the distance. Uh, one of the, um, about halfway through the race, uh, you cross kind of, a, of a, an iconic bridge, a seven-mile bridge, which is seven miles long and um, just beautiful. But the seven-mile bridge doesn't have a parallel portion, so you're on the bridge running on the pavement on the shoulder facing traffic. Of course, we cone the, the bridge for safety reasons. Um, but uh, the, the, as you leave Key Largo at the beginning of the race, uh, it's still dark. Uh, you head, head out on, along these bike paths, and as it begins to get light, you, and you work your way south and west, uh, the, the further out you go, the more islands you cross, the more open the water is, the more spectacular the views. Um, again, every 10 miles, there's an aid station where people check in, be sure we know where they are, we account for them, be sure they're safe. Uh, we have marshals along the route, again, being sure everybody is uh, accounted for and in good condition. Uh, and the race actually ends in Key West on Higgs Beach. It actually ends on the sand. I uh, think you've got about 100 feet of sand to run uh, to run on to go through the, the big arch to get to the finish line, and that's when the party begins, and I can tell you all about that if you like. <laughs> um, so the 100, <laughs> that's, I mean, why else do you run? That's where the beer is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the 100 miles start in Key, in, uh, Key Largo, and they start early, and then what we do is we actually take the entire starting mechanism, the timing mats and all that down, and drive 50 miles down the road to the city of Marathon, perfectly appropriate name, where the 50-mile race begins. Uh, we set up there. We uh, have our packet pickup. We have a pre-race orientation meeting for the 50-milers. And at about 9.30 or so a.m., uh, again, on a staggered basis, that race begins, and those runners head out in three miles. They reach Seven Mile Bridge, and on they go down to, uh, down to Key West. This year, for the first time, we've added a 50-kilometer race um, to kind of round out the opportunities for people and um, kind of by, by popular demand. Um, and so what we will do is we will take everything down, the arch and all the starting stuff, and move another roughly 20 miles down the Keys to Big Pine Key. And then Big Pine is where we will set up for the start of the 50K race. And again, people will begin there at about 1 o'clock p.m. and work their way down to Hicks Beach in Key West. Um, we have intentionally left the, the heat factor in. In other words, we're not starting the 50K race at night or the next morning, uh, again, by consensus. Um, so what happens is during the race, the, uh, uh, the, the relay teams, again, there'll be about 150 of them this year, and there's six people on a team. Most teams will experience some portion of their race where they're running with um, or, or very close to one of the individual runners. And we hear time and time again, year after year, that uh, many of these relay runners get very inspired by what they see by the ultra runners, and they become kind of our next generation of, of ultra runners and come down so often the following years and decide to run our 50 or 100. Now they'll have a 50K to run, and I think it'll be a nice introductory uh, you know, introductory distance race for them. I think it's going to be a nice touch for, for the race this year. 
Yeah, I think with the as you mentioned, with the one PM start time, that really does give runners an indication of what sort of heat conditions they're going to have to deal with if they want to participate in this race A at all, but B, if they're then going to a longer distance and this is sort of like a you know process of stepping stones that they've learnt how to deal with one of the factors or they've experienced one of the factors. It's not just distance, it's uh, adding in the coping with heat and with sun potentially as well as heat and the humidity. That's great. Now that, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when we started this, uh, again, I had had no experience with race directing. We had no idea what was going to happen. We had 131 runners total our first year. And remember, this was set up really to emulate Badwater, the conditions. We could have scheduled the race in uh, January or December, but decided to do it in May in part because of the heat. And now it's grown to a point where we'll have probably 11 or 1,200 runners this year or so, and um, maybe even a few more. So um, we've, 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 kept the, we've kept the heat in the race as a factor. It's just become part of the vibe. It's our eighth year, and um, so far so good. <laughs> So Bob, you're talking just a little bit more about the the conditions. Um, what's the sort of the 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 best, the most favourable, and the toughest that you've you've had, or that people could expect? I think last year was a really good, you know, uh, optimum conditions. Is that right? Yes, you're absolutely right. Last year was, uh, relatively speaking, a, a a not a not a hot year. Uh, the weather was beautiful and to boot we had about a 20 mile an hour tailwind uh, which was which was great um, we, we made jokes that people should get an oversized shirt and kind of spread it out so they function like a sail and carry it right down the highway but we've had some years like the year before was extremely hot so uh, you never know what you're going to get out there and again it's why you should be prepared for um, the intensity of the sun remember you're in, you're in the tropics really uh, in addition to the to the humidity and just and the heat itself, now there are many parts of the country that are a lot hotter. It typically gets into the upper 80s, uh, generally not any hotter than that. But the humidity is a factor, and again the intensity of the sun. You're about as far south in the United States as you can get. So all those things taken together uh, create the challenge. Uh, there are not many places during the race where there is shade. You're mostly uh, open. Um, there's one area um, uh, as you approach the city of Marathon, if you're running the 100 miler, that um, is run through a mangrove, a mangrove forest. It's actually a bike path that's, uh, that runs through the mangroves. And while it's a very interesting place to run, it gets very steamy in there. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the challenges are many. But as you get uh, into many of the bridge areas, uh, a breeze. You pick up a breeze coming across the uh, the bridges. You you basically have ocean on one side, and uh, the uh, uh, Florida Bay on the other. The the views are beautiful, and um, you know we've known runners who have actually stopped and uh, you know jumped in the jumped in the water to cool off. But that's that's unusual, but it happens. Uh, we also have runners who, as they come across some of these bridges, uh, look over the side and see. Uh, mammal life down there. They'll see uh, porpoises and uh, rays and other things and actually stop and take take photos. So a lot of runners carry cameras with them. Uh, it's really an interesting and unique place. There's no question about it. Yeah, Bob, I've just uh, just noticed uh, got a message. We, we're off today to, to do a 300-kilometer um, or 
think it was a 180 mile odd race. And uh, there's a longer event, a 450 that started yesterday, and they had an electrical storm last night, and the race director parked people in safe places for an hour or two whilst the storm passed. Um, in the times that we've been in Florida, we have seen the odd electrical storm. Is that something that Keys 100 sometimes has to cope with, and how do you deal with, with the, the lightning storms if you do get them? Well, believe it or not, in the eight years we've had the run, the seven years we've had the race, which is the eighth, eighth year, we've never actually experienced any electrical storms, but that's just by, by luck, that's all. What we always yep. tell runners if uh, they do is they want to take cover, and there, there are, um, uh, you know, this is, this is mostly civilization here. There are uh, some commercial areas, uh, stores and uh, uh, gas stations and, and restaurants and other places where they can take cover uh, and wait the storm out. Now, the thing about most Florida storms, electrical storms, is they're very brief. So while they may mm. be intense, it's a lot of rain, they don't last very long. So typically, um, you, you use your head, take cover, don't take a chance if there's lightning out there, um, and you'll be back on the road, back on the trail very, very quickly, most almost so that, always. But we've been, we've been lucky so far. And that, that's something that from what you just said, you cover very clearly in the race briefing. And so people who aren't used to dealing with electrical storms, they, they, they're told exactly how to handle that and how to stay safe. Absolutely. We have a required pre-race meeting and orientation that talks about many of these kinds of things, and it's, uh, it, it's vital that people hear it. Um, because you're right, a lot of people are coming to a tropical climate like this to race for the first time, and it's important that they understand what to do, especially if they don't have a crew and they're on their own. So I saw one guy last night who said that the electrical storm was so violent that it was too dangerous to run, so he walked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work that one out. Uh, <laughs> well, that's Take one way to do it. I'm not sure that's what I'd recommend. but <laughs> I don't know. I think it makes him more of a target. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're probably right. I do want to say we also have marshals along the course, too, so if they were out there and they saw anybody, uh, they would – They'd be sure to get them in their car as quickly as possible. So there really is a lot of support, uh, but people still have to use their heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, in terms of training for mm. the Keys 100, what would be a couple of your thoughts on people to train and prepare? Well, obviously, if you have the opportunity to uh, to train in the heat, if, if you're in a climate where um, you, you've got that, type of weather prior to mid-May, then, then go for it, you know, and at the very least, do some of your training during the warmest part of the day, no matter no matter what time that is, when the sun is at its highest. Um, uh, I, I know that for myself, even though I've, I, I do train, run and train here in South Florida, for Badwater, I also spend time in a sauna, uh, and so if people have access to a sauna or even a steam room, I would say spending time there, um, in, gradually increasing the amount of time that you're in there, and you don't necessarily have to do any activity. Just get used to the notion of that heat. And bring water with you, drink. Um, just doing something as simple as that will be very helpful. Now, I do know people that uh, uh, have access to a, uh, to a sauna where they will put a, they'll put a bike or a treadmill and actually work out in that kind of condition. I don't know that that's, that that's necessary. That's pretty extreme, but uh, try to find ways to emulate the heat if you can. That's what I would recommend most strongly. Um, and, you know, like any other ultra, you want to be in very good condition. Core strength is important. Uh, it's, not just, it's not just running. Cross-training and building core strength are vital as well. 
Yeah, and I'm imagining like with uh, it, with a lot of trail marathons or ultra marathons, sorry, hundred milers, the terrain actually suggests itself for walk breaks and inc- incorporating walking and running into your distance. And I, even though that the Keys 100 is a flat course, I'm sure that a lot of runners do put a significant amount. I'm talking about the middle of the packers, back of the packers, a significant amount of walking into their event. Absolutely, um, and I shouldn't have been so presumptuous about that. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And mi- middle and back of the Packers, like me, uh, absolutely train to build walking into their plan and train to walk faster, to train to be a good power walker. Uh, you, you, know, it's, you, you don't lose as much time as you might think if you're, if you're a strong walker, and that takes practice just like anything else does. So, so absolutely, yes. Hey, Bob, you mentioned earlier... Um ice and a few other things but can we just sort of I suppose summarize a couple of a couple of tips for during the race and dealing with the heat uh, as I said before I think balance is absolutely vital um, and of course obviously wearing ice as I suggested is is important but um, we, we have at our aid stations uh, water at least three or four different types of sports drinks um, coconut water uh, electrolytes, we happen to have hammer, hammer and duralites generally, but some type of electrolyte. Sometimes we have noon out there. Uh, all kinds of food, uh, many, many different kinds of food, uh, and uh, soft drinks and so on. It's very important not only to hydrate, but to replace those electrolytes. You're going to be sweating out there. And whether your, your choice of electrolyte replacement is a, is a capsule or a, a, a something you add to your, to your water or something else it's absolutely vital to be sure you're on a you you, you balance the, the the intake of both and again you were talking about training before training training ahead of time so you're not eating something or drinking something that you haven't ingested prior to the race um and the other thing is cal- caloric intake uh i see people all the time especially in the hot weather races where they say i just don't think i can eat i can't i can't uh, i can't ingest solid food well Find something that isn't solid then, whether it's a gel or even a liquid, and practice getting calories in that way. I will tell you that last year when I ran Badwater, um, I used Ensure that you know that my that my mother used to used to drink years ago. I had never tried it before. I tried it in training last year, and it was a tremendous way to get calories in. My body tolerated it. I was able to digest it easily. I had no issues with it at all. And that formed the basis of my caloric intake for my Badwater race last year. So whatever the product is, find it, find out what works for you, train with it, and, uh, uh, and you'll be successful. You'll be able to finish the race. No, that's so true. I just, um, I'm almost taking notes <laughs> for uh, future races <laughs> because it doesn't matter whether it's the heat or, well, I mean, it, obviously the heat's more important in, so, in lots of electrolyte ways, but the food, the caloric intake it just is so relevant for any ultra runner, particularly once you get to the 100 mile distance. Oh, it's, it's now, hugely important. And may, may I add one other comment, uh, Andrew? Please, just Because uh, I won't forget this one. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we have a lot of choices out there, but runners may have their own ideas to what they want to eat or drink. So uh, we make available five different locations where they can leave a personal drop bag. So when they're picking up their packet the night before the race or the morning of the race, they can leave a personal their personal stuff in a bag with their number, bib number, and name on it, and we'll 
bring those to those aid stations so that when they get there, they can access that bag. Now, it might have, you know, dry socks or a fresh pair of shoes or clothes, but it also can have uh, their own version of electrolyte or drink mixes or food, whatever it is that they want to have. And for those running into the night, of course, night gear as well, which is another whole safety subject. But the point is, by using drop bags, that's another way to be sure you're getting the things that you that you need and that you have been training with. Um, so you don't have to carry everything on your back. You can, you know, take advantage of the drop bag opportunity and, and access things that way. That's great. I was going to just, I think that the tip of the drop bags, uh, again, for, for as you're getting increasing numbers of internationals and hopefully uh, part of our sort of promoting the thing is to, to encourage some Australians and Asians to go and run the Keys 100. But the, the, the drop bag can be particularly handy where some of the products that you have available at the aid stations, we can't buy them in Australia or we can't buy them in Malaysia. So yep. it's handy to then be able to bring the sort of energy products that you're used to training within your own country so that you can put them in the drop bags and, and that way you're not trying something for the first time during the race. You've got your own products. So it's an extra extra kind of little bonus. Now, now, Bob, in terms of uh, people wanting to enter, they go to the to the keys100.com uh, website, and that's where you do your race registration? Yes, it's, uh, it's very simple. It's uh, There's a registration page. Go to that page, and you'll see, see buttons there to either create a team or to uh, register for an individual race. You click on that button. It passes through to uh, to our online vendor, and just uh, just follow the prompts, answer the typical questions, uh, initial the that all important race liability waiver and and uh, pay your fee at the end. Uh, it's it's all online and it's uh, it's a pretty simple process. Uh, and I suppose the we, next question is uh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, please. Keep go going, ahead. Bob. No, sorry, Bob. No, I I was just going to say that um, we uh, I, I'm always asked the question and perhaps this would have been your next one. Uh, what is your limit? You know, uh, when when do you cut off registration? Um, and it, it's interesting in the keys. The the I mentioned to you that we're running along the one and only road, the highway that runs the length of the keys, and that services locals, businesses, uh, tourists, uh, as well as as well as us runners invading the, the 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 you know the keys. So it's vital that we don't cause traffic disruption, and the thing we have found over the years is that the number of runners is not really the issue because we're so spread out over the course and most of the time not even on the road that we really don't have a limit as to the number of runners within reason that could run this race. But what we do have is a practical limit as to the number of vehicles. So I mentioned we'll have about 150 teams in the race this year, and each team has a support vehicle, a minivan or a van, a larger SUV that they will be driving. and. They're meeting their runners every couple of miles, two, three miles or so. So they're they're driving on and off the road to do that. Um, the runners who have who have their own support crew, which is typically 50 to 60 percent, also have their own vehicle. So the more people we have and the more teams we have with vehicles, the more the the greater the chance that there might be some disruption to traffic. And we've been very very good guests in uh, down there over the years. That, the sheriff likes us, and we want to make sure that that continues to be the case. So right now, uh, we don't have a limit. I'm keeping an eye on it, uh, but we should probably be okay this year for anybody that would like to enter the race. And we keep registration open until oh, about a week before the race. Uh, 
And uh, between you and me and anybody who's listening, uh, if somebody does show up on race day, we will typically be able to accommodate them. And so there always are a few people that, that come down and want to want to run it. So uh, we've fortunately been able to be, you know, fairly accommodating and hope we can remain that way. So I think uh, just having a quick look at the, the website as you're talking there, Bob, there's a, um, a January 31 um, I suppose encouragement to enter early. Then there's a April fifteenth, which is you know in the next week for people mm. to get in, and and then right. you've got your sort of your, your final entry up to the the thirteenth of May. So um, encouraging people to get in in the next week, particularly before that April fifteenth, and you, know, you know, save a couple of dollars off off each level and help help organising with the planning by getting in early. Now, now Bob, be, I'm sure we've got some people who'll who'll uh, be listening today or in the next few days to the podcast who will be thinking, yep, I'm, you know, I sort of live not far away or I'm going to be in town and I can get in for this year. But uh, I think an even bigger number of our uh, audience will be listening and thinking, oh, I can't get there this year because I'm tied up somewhere else, but I'm, geez, next year sounds good. When when do entries open for the following year uh, approximately? And is it always the same weekend? Yeah, it, it has always been the same weekend, which is the third Saturday in May. That that has yep. traditionally been the, the race uh, race day, race weekend, and I don't see any reason that that wouldn't continue. Uh, we will probably open, and we typically open uh, in in the summer, June, July. Uh, we we don't open the day after the race uh, the race ends. We take a breather. So, yep. uh, <laughs> but it, we could certainly post that on the website. Uh, June, July is about when registration would open for the following year uh, but, you know anybody that uh, thinks it's a little late for this year they can certainly come on down and volunteer they'll be able to see what it's all about and would love to have their help so in terms of volunteers what what types of roles do you have for people um, we have these I well, to start is the eight stations that I mentioned to you we have uh, actually 11 of them along the course and many of them are open uh, for lots and lots of hours so we need many people to come out, work aid stations, and support the runners. We have a huge presence at the finish line. Uh, Again, we haven't really talked much about that yet, but uh, we have a lot of people uh, working the finish line when runners come in. uh, They hand them their their medal, in the case of 100 milers, their buckle and water and race uh, stickers, and and then to to feed them. Uh, We, um, last year, to give you an idea, we had about 1,025 people in the race. We went through seven kegs of beer, we went through 2,000 burgers, 700 pieces of fried chicken, God knows how many pizzas. I mean, there's a lot going on. We have a huge tent uh, right there at the finish line for people to hang out and relax and tell their stories and compare notes. It's also where we have our post-race awards program. So we we need lots of people there. And we have marshals on the course. Uh, In the ideal world, people who are functioning as a marshal have had some ultra experience but uh we're willing to work with people and we have set up people that set up the eight stations and take them down i mean there there's you know logistics so there's a lot going on pre-race uh, check-in uh helping runners get their packets and checking them in so lots to do magnificent now you look you sort of mentioned the 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 finish area and it and it uh from having a look at that you got a great video that uh, i had a look at the other day again the a race like this, the crossing the finish line, is a highlight in so many ways. Um, tell us a little bit more about what goes on at the finish, and also then the um, the, the finishers buckle and the the rewards, the that whole 
aspect of the of the case 100. Sure. Um, the uh, by, by the way, you mentioned something. If I may just digress for a second, Please. and that is also on the website. There's a link to uh, photos and um, stories about the race, and there's also a race video that uh, you know I think will give people a, a sense of what it's all about too. So certainly encourage people to look at those things. Um, the finish line again is on the beach. It's on the sand, right there on the Atlantic Ocean, um, and with a with a very large tent with uh, again with all the goodies to eat and drink and chairs and tables and places to hang out. We've got a medical tent there and so on. Um, when the runners arrive, they're presented with a finisher medal. Uh, their photos are taken. They've got you know a bottle of water and so on. The 100 milers get uh, the, uh, the Keys 100 race buckle. Uh, we've used the same design since the beginning because every time I've talked to people about changing it, they tell me do not change it. We want that buckle. We love that buckle. So love the design. Um, so the, uh, the they get that and and a, and a race sticker for those that want to put it on their car, and then all the food and, and goodies that they might want to have, soft drinks and water and fruit and you name it, it's there. Now, what we do on Sunday between 11 and 2 is we have uh, kind of our awards program. We have a we have a band, a Jimmy Buffett type band that plays live there under the tent uh, for those three hours. And at, at noon, we actually present awards. And the awards for uh, well, we, there are there are literally uh, 150 to 200 people walking away with with an award. Uh, the, the, the team winners, the individual winners, age range winners, and so on. These are all made in the Keys. Um, some of them uh, depends on the particular award, but some of them are actually shells, including large queen conch shells that are mounted on uh, on a wooden base and are very, very unique. Again, they're, they're made right in the Keys. And uh, uh, again, it's one of those things where when I talk to people about whether we should change, change up the design and the idea of our awards nobody wants us to they really they, re- they really like them a lot they're certainly unique um and so at two o'clock uh 2 the last of the very last of the stragglers come in and of course it's then a lot of work taking taking everything down and putting it away at four o'clock we actually have a post-race get together um at one of the bars and restaurants in uh, the key west is famous for smoking tuna in this case and a lot of people will come down and uh, have a free beer and, and hang out and just, just relax and enjoy everybody's company. Key West is a just a phenomenal, unique little town and a great place for some R&R after you run a long race like this. So I suppose uh, that sounds like a great place to stay for after the event. So just for accommodation for runners and crew, does that sort of sound like where you would think that uh, they should stay? Um, I would absolutely recommend that people stay and, and enjoy Key West for a day or two or whatever they can afford to do time-wise and money-wise. Uh, Key West is in great demand, and uh, it's not cheap. It's not an inexpensive place. But, you know, as, as is the case in most resort areas, you've got a broad range of, um, of accommodations, of hotel, motel, bed-and-breakfast types and price ranges. Um, and uh, we... We do our best to, to uh, you know, make arrangements, block rooms at a discounted price where we can get that done in the Keys. Um, but I'll tell you that the, the demand is so high there, it's really actually very difficult to get hotels to do that with us. But because of the broad array of options, um, 
people will be able to find housing and, and housing that they'll enjoy. Um, you said a minute ago, I think that you, you've been to the Keys. You said you've driven the Keys? You've been to Key West? Yes, yeah. yes. You have. So again, you, you, you've heard, you, you probably remember Duval Street, which is kind of the main, the main drag in Key West itself, lined with shops and, and, uh, uh, restaurants and bars. And it's, uh, kind of a, kind of a world famous place to party, um, and hang out and look at all kinds of strange people. <laughs> um, and near Duval well, I think, Street. I think you might have a, yeah, I think you might have a caller. I'll just yeah. sort of grab this, interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, but. That's right. Hello there. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I thought we had a caller, but I think they've... Well, they might have just... Anybody there? No? I might have left them on hold. I'll keep keep an eye on that. So if you did call in and, and we didn't pick you up, please just uh, call us back again. We're sorry for that. We were sort of so intrigued in listening to, to Bob talking about Key West. Sorry about that, Bob. So No, no, um, not, so not at all. I was a bit slow on the draw in, in missing that person. So I'm sorry to whoever's called in, and I've, I think I've missed you. But if you, if you do get a chance to call back, um, I've got my eye on the on, on the screen. The, yeah. <laughs> so yes, sorry, Bob. I, so we're having a wild time. We're having a good time exploring the uniqueness of this location of uh, staying in Key West and absorbing the, the local characters and the local flavour and all that. And would, would that be a reasonable place to stay before the race too, or are you better off uh, staying up around the Key Largo area? Yeah, if you're doing the hundred mile, you want to stay at Key Largo because it is point to point. Mm. It is just it's just a long way. So I would stay in yeah. Key Largo before the race. Uh, or, or most people will stay either in Key Largo or Marathon if they're running the 50-miler. But if you're doing the 50-kilometer race, then it probably makes more sense to stay in Key West. Um, you can actually take a city bus uh, up, up to uh, Big Pine Key for the start of that race. Very convenient, very inexpensive. Drive to Key West, leave your car, take a bus up, or you know, drive, ride with other people, which is typically what happens anyhow. And um, that, that's a good thing to do. But definitely... Definitely plan on trying to spend time in Key West if you possibly can to enjoy the uniqueness of the place. Okay, Bob, I think we've got our caller back. I'll just try. Okay. Hello there. Anybody there calling in to uh, talk to Bob about the Keys 100? Hmm. No, we're not having any. Hello? We're trying to. Trying the different. Hello, anyway. Are you there? You're talking to uh, to uh, Bob Becker about the Keys 100. Whatever's no. happening with that call, it's <laughs> not quite getting through. No good. Yeah. Um, so um, you can call in, folks, on eight five eight seven six nine four nine five two, or if you uh, yeah. following us on Twitter or uh, Facebook, you can post a question there, uh, and. Um, We'll pass it on to, to Bob. We, we've got about uh, another 10, 10 minutes to go with just talking to Bob, um, learning all about the, the Keys 100. Just to change the topic a little bit, Bob, I was interested in the race charity, if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we, um, we're, we're very, very supportive of a local charity in Key West that serves the entire Keys, uh, all the Keys, called the Cancer Foundation of the Florida Keys. They're... Uh, a local group that uh, does a lot of different kinds of things, uh, educational work and free screenings for prostate cancer, breast cancer, and other types of cancer. 
and also something very unique, and that is direct support of cancer patients and their families. And if I may, I'll give you a couple of examples. Down in Key West, you have a lot of people who actually live on a boat full time, and some of them are not uh, are not very wealthy people. They uh, they live there. They do not have a car. They live by themselves. Um, and if they go and take advantage of one of these screenings and find that they they actually have cancer, then there's the issue of how do they get wherever they need to go to get treatment, uh, to get medication. Maybe they can't afford medication. So the foundation does a lot of very direct hands-on work helping people following up after screenings if they, you know, unfortunately discover something that you know, nobody wants to ever think about. Uh, so that's, that, that's one type of very direct hands-on um, support that they provide people in the Keys. Another thing is sometimes when somebody gets cancer, they can't work. As the case gets worse, the spouse can't work either. They have to take care, they stay home, take care of, of the person with the disease. Um, what the Cancer Foundation does is helps with direct rent and mortgage payments, utility payments, and grocery money for families in that situation. So they do a lot of hands-on work that uh, just isn't otherwise available in a relatively uh, isolated area like the Florida Keys. It's fantastic work that they do, and we're so pleased to be able to support them every year. It's always good to have a, a worthy charity involved with this. It, re it really is. By the way, I, if I may, um, any individual runner or team that raises three in, in donations three times their registration fee, we will refund their registration fee in full. So that's all on the website. It's all explained there in the registration page. Uh, and I would urge anybody that uh, I'd, I'd urge everybody to write a check, send, send them a check. But beyond that, if they're involved in the race, there is that opportunity, and it's really a win-win. So just to put that into perspective, um, if you're going to do the 100 miles and uh, you're thinking about it for 2016, the, this year the, the fee was, if you ended by January 31st, was $205. So you raise $615, which is highly achievable, um, or you can certainly raise more than that, but $615, you get your race entry um, for free and you're that's raising right. money for the charity. So that's... that's um, you know, sometimes with when people talk about you having to raise money, the the bar seems so high that people don't even step up to it to try. And but you've set a really you know, achievable uh, limit. So congratulations on that, and that applies through whether you're a team or an individual, and no matter what distance, it's a great mm. a great initiative. That, that's correct. So even though the team fee is higher, so the big number is higher, you get six people on the team. So individually, it's really not. It's less. It's less of a challenge, not more of a challenge to reach the goal. So. We certainly encourage people to go for it. Now, um, any other highlights or anything else that we should have talked about in terms of the Keys 100? Um, you know, I, you, you really you really covered it uh, very, very well. Um, some people want to know if uh, there are any specific pre-qualifications, uh, and there really aren't. Uh, I frequently will get... Uh, uh, inquiries from people saying, you know, I'd like to run the race, but I've never run 50 or 100 miles before. And what I urge them to do is um, look at, you know, look at what we've prepared for them on the website and, you know, adjust training accordingly. Um, you know, many of the things we've been talking about here. So use your head, be smart, be ready. In other words, train, train well and appropriately, but otherwise there are no specific uh, qualifications to, to race. Um, there are other 
you know, other specific things like safety at night where we require people to have flashing lights front and rear and, and uh, a vest or other 360-degree reflective gear on because they are out there on or near the roadway. But otherwise, I think we've covered most of the most of the primary things, and it's just been a real pleasure talking about a race that's become such an important part of my life. Yeah, but we just had a, a posted on a Facebook uh, a question from a person by the name Sandy Suckling, who, who uh, amongst other things, we ran the Hong Kong 100 with in January this year. But I think Sandy's running Keys 100 this year. She is, Aussie girl. And yeah. her, her question, uh, or what she said, is it's great listening to Bob talking about the Keys 100 and some wonderful information. Uh, one question she has is, how many times a week and for how long would would you suggest going into the steam room to help acclimatise? Uh, interesting question. I, I, I think if you have access and you can get in a couple of times a week, that's that's going to be fine. I, you know, it doesn't have to be a daily occurrence. But I know part of that again relates to what uh, what is it like if you're not in the steam room? Are you in a you know a cool weather climate where you have no heat opportunity for training at all, or you know do you, do you have some heat that you would uh, you know you're going to sweat opportunity anyway as part of your normal training? So so part of it is I think the colder the climate you're in probably the more frequently you want to take advantage of a steam or sauna if you have access to one, but I don't think it's something you have to do daily. And how long at a time was the other part yes. of that question? Well, you want to build up slowly. I mean, you, you know, it, uh, if it's not something you're used to, it, uh, it uh, takes a lot out of you. So I think if you work your way up to a half an hour, 40 minutes, even 45 minutes, if you can stay in that long uh, optimally and, and uh, at kind of the, the apex of your training, I think you're fine. Um, but, you know, it's a start slow, do it gradually, and be absolutely sure to drink water while you're in that in that room. Keep hydrating. Magnificent. Uh, now, Bob, you have uh, another race that you do. I'm going to give that one a, a, just a quick uh, plug. Because sometimes people think, oh, I just want to go and run in, in um, southern Florida. But there might be a school teacher who, in, say, in Australia who can't get away at the, in May, but you have another race. Yes, I do, and it's, uh, a, a, again, a very, very unique race. Uh, most people have heard of the Florida Everglades, and we actually have a race that runs, it's a trail race that runs right through the Everglades, and it's called the Everglades Ultra. Evergladesultras.com is the website. Um, the race distances are 50 miles, 50 kilometers, and 25 kilometers. And the race is held in the largest state park in the state of Florida called the Fakahatchee Strand Preserve State Park. It's actually a nature preserve. We actually go out and clear and re-clear over 50 miles of trails every year so that people can run this race. And they're running through uh, the, 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 the Everglades swamplands, but they're not actually trud- trudging through the swamp. They, they, they run on raised trails um, through the area where, where, the, where the swamp areas are. And then open up into these spectacular open prairies, these grassland prairies that are quite unexpected and beautiful. Um, and also running through there and also through some wooded areas that are a little more elevated. Um, this park is the home to the largest variety of orchids and bromeliads uh, in North America. Uh, it has a very wide range of, of animal life, uh, including some endangered species like uh, Florida panther, black bear. Um, you see a lot of deer out there. There are, of course, alligators. Um, it's a very, very interesting and unique, unique place. Now, on race day, since 
most most of the time nobody is out in this park. These animals uh, are hearing people. They're hearing the rangers that are out there on vehicles uh, monitoring everything. So they tend not to hang out. They they don't you don't you don't see too many of them, but they're there. You never know what you're going to see, and it's a uh, it's absolutely an exotic and uh, and unique race to do, and I, I encourage anybody. It's a small race. 300 is our limit. It's in February every year. It'll be February 20th next year, and it's that time of year so that uh, it's it's uh, the end of winter uh, so that we don't have a, a mosquito problem and it's not too hot. Um, it's a fun thing to do, and again, a very, very unique race for those who might be in, in South Florida, which is where it is, uh, in February. Magnificent. Uh, now, Bob, can we um, can we uh, hold you for another about another five minutes to keep keep talking? I think we've sort of got to our hour, and we, we promised an hour. But if we can go for another five minutes, that would be fantastic. Of course. That's it. Of okay. course. So, one of the things we like to do uh, when we when we sort of uh, devote the whole show to a, a special event, as we have today, is to sort of do our top ten things to do whilst you're in the area, and then our top ten reasons to uh, do the race. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've put our two top tens together. So what we thought we'd do, Bob, is we'll go through our, our ten, 10 things to do when you're in southern Florida and Key West, and then we might get you to say, well, you missed this or you missed that or, or just make a brief comment. And then we'll sort of spring it together. We've got our 10 reasons why we think people should come and do the Keys 100, and then we'd just get you to sort of close the show with any additional thoughts that you have. So that's going to take us through to it. the end. So yeah. um, in terms of for... If you're if you're a, a a local person living in the U.S. Um, in that sort of southern area, then you might drive drive in, um, or you might fly to some of the smaller airports. But for those of us coming internationally, then often the the idea is we're going to fly into either Miami or Fort Lauderdale as the big bigger airports. And so we've based our ten things to do when you go and run the Keys 100 uh, on that sort of assumption. So. Uh, number 10 is one of my uh, favourite beaches of the world and I'm going to, after I arrive, the first thing I'm going to do is going to spend the day on uh, South Beach at Miami. Go for a bit of a walk, a bit of a run, just hang out there for the day. Get you acclimatised. Number nine? Number nine is, well, I'm going to check out uh, Fort Lauderdale for a bit of a run because it's a really cool place to run along and see the sights. Uh, number eight, I'm going to be making my way down towards uh, where the Keys 100 is and I'm going to drive the Keys 100 route a day or two before just to check it out and I'm going to stop off and get my picture taken at Marathon next to the sign that says yep. Welcome to Marathon or something like that. Number seven? Yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan so I'm going to check out dinner and drinks at Margaritaville. After the race, of course. Well, yes, it depends how early I arrive in town but yep. uh, I'm going to check it out. Uh, now, also after the race, uh, I'm going to go for a bit of a... Uh, one of the kayak tours through the mangrove forest, something different, something I can't do anywhere else in the world, and uh, a nice way to sort of see the water, see the see the see uh, some of the local wildlife. Yep. Well, number five, I'm going to take, take the conch tour train, and I might do that both before and after. Yes, you might know. do it the day after the race. Yeah, I might just rest my legs. Okay, uh, visit, visiting uh, Hemingway's house, which is one of the many quirky little things to do as you walk around the, the Key West area. That, that's that's pretty spectacular. Um, number three, Sue? Yep, I'm going to well, run or walk a lap of Key West to check out the town and uh, some of those wonderful colourful characters and scenery. Yes, we've had, we've had a couple of times when we've been there where we've been just wonderful heading out for just an hour and running down the streets, looking at the houses, looking at all Dodging the activities. The chickens. Beautiful yep. spot to, to run. Um, I think Bob mentioned that it is 
a unique place, Key West. And our second top thing to do there is to check out Duval Street, which is one of the main sort of shopping attraction areas. And you're just going to see all sorts of weird, wonderful things which you may not have seen in your part of the world. Yep. And our number one thing to do well, whilst we're in Key West? Yes, I'm going to join the line of people queuing up to have their photo taken at the southernmost point of the USA, that beacon. That's just one of the things you've got to do. One of the things you've got to do. Okay, so that's our top <laughs> 10 reasons, and there's many, many more. What would you add, Bob? Uh, you've covered most of them. I, you know, you, you also want to make sure you go to Mallory Square in Key West at sunset and watch the spectacular sunset right there at Mallory Square, which is a tradition. Uh, Besides which, there are all kinds of performing artists there that keep it fun. So uh, I, that would be one more recommendation. But otherwise, you 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 nailed it. So it's a wonderful place, um, Southern Florida. And yep. if you're traveling from uh, afar, even if you're traveling from around the corner, actually, lots of things to do. But for people like ourselves, who thinking, oh, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do the race, I'm going to spend 10 days, two weeks, or even more, if I got lucky, in uh, enjoying Southern Florida. There's lots of things Oh, you can, you can do there. Now, bring us towards sort of the end of the show. We've sort of uh, put together after sort of doing our research and watching over the last few years and, and I think being reinforced by what Bob's told us this morning, our top 10 reasons why you want to participate in the Keys 100. And that could be running the 100 miles or it could be running a team or it could be running the 50 mile or 50K or being a volunteer, a crew member. Cheering. Mm. So lots of lots of reasons to participate. But our ten, number ten, we'll go from the bottom, build it up. Yep. Number yep. ten. Number ten is the unique and exotic location that is the keys, or uh, are the keys. The uh, post-run vacation opportunities that come with running a, a wonderful event like the Keys 100, something to drag you not just to the finish line, but that thought of spending time after it is magnificent. Mm. Uh, number eight. Well, number eight's the weather, and that is obviously it's going to be hot. Uh, for my preference, more than the cold and arctic conditions. So you know you're going to get a warm day for race day. Uh, number seventh of our top reasons to run in the Keys 100 is the stunning scenery and the views of the course. And, and what what better to put into your race memories than running across, along the seven-mile bridge and uh, the rest of those keys. Number six. Sounds like the finish line. Getting in part of that uh, experience, which is a crossing the line, but then the continuing party that seems to be part of the finish line experience. Now we did mention the uh, the, the video, and Bob mentioned there's all the photos and things, but you you don't have to have participated yet to see the whole um, friendships that are built and that whole wonderful time that people have. So just meeting new friends, uh, experiencing a wonderful event with old friends and existing friends uh, is our fifth reason to run it in the Keys 100. Well, number four would have to be that beautiful belt buckle and uh, I'm aligned, aligned with uh, the rest of the people that say, don't change it, it looks absolutely spectacular. I want it to be there when we finally get there to run it. Yes, I think that that, <laughs> that is the lure. It's, it's I've got to get one of those and, and if it was to be too different the year that you finally got there, you, you might be... Well, but I suspect yeah. when the time comes to change it, Bob will probably have some, a better buckle. But the buckle is magnificent. Yes. Um, the Seven Mile Bridge, that in itself, is again, it's one of those stories to talk about. It's our third top reason for running in the Keys 100. Mm. Number two? Well, the challenge, both the physical, the mental challenge of both the course and the climate uh, and the distance itself, so the whole thing. And I, so I was talking to somebody uh on a run, I think it was during a race recently, and we were just chatting and we were talking about the Keys 100. And, and I think this notion of the challenge is what, to me, is unique about it. Because 
we often, I think, as as endurance runners, marathoners, ultra runners, we take on a lot of events that deep in our heart we know we can do it. I've just got to train. I can mm. build up to it, and I'm going to get to the finish. If I do the work, I get the reward. Um, for somebody like me who isn't, I don't have the cooling system that that you have, Sue, and and so running in the heat. I've got to really work hard at it. So there's this little bit for me in running the Keys 100 is I know I can do the work and I can know I can prepare for it. I'm just not sure if my body is going to allow me, if I've got a hot hot year, to do it. So taking all the precautions, doing all the training, it's got that extra little bit of challenge of can I make it? So I reckon that's a, that's a you know, f- from a purely running perspective, that's a, yeah. a, a top reason and for doing the And that's when we find out about ourselves too. Yep. That we take ourselves to the brink and that's when we find out what inner strength we well, have. Well, it's only when you go further than you thought you could that you find out how far you can actually yeah. go. And last but not least, our, our top reason for participating in the Keys 100 is just the wonderful race community that it is and the, all aspects of the event, the, the way uh, Bob and, and team and the volunteers and the runners have put it together to make it one of those standout events. So that's our top 10 reasons for running in the Keys 100. Uh, and now, on that note, let's hand back to uh, Bob Becker, the race director, who's been uh, our, our wonderful guest today and we really appreciate your time. What would you add there, Bob, in terms of uh, your number one reason maybe to participate in the Keys 100? Well, the great race community is probably the, the, the reason, the, the number one reason for me, and uh, the, just the phenomenal people that, and the great hospitality uh, of the people down in the Keys and just the people who are involved in ultramarathon running to begin with. They're fantastic. So many people who come down to this race and not only have a crew, but they bring family and friends, and uh, it really is a pretty big community of people that participate one way or another in this race and it's it's a lot of fun and if I may just add one other thing uh, you and I did not, uh, the three of us did not talk in advance but I had the occasion to uh, be in Australia in 2000 to go to the Sydney Olympics I know you're in Melbourne I yep. loved everything about my experience in Australia, I was there because my nephew Adam Goucher ran the 5k for the United States that year and Adam is actually going to be coming down to the Keys to volunteer at the race this year. So anybody that's listening in and wants to have an opportunity to say hi to Adam, and you may also know his wife, Kara Goucher, it's quite a running family. Adam will be there to say hi to everybody, and he'll be out there working as a uh, uh, out there as a marshal, helping people and um, make sure everybody's good and safe. So it's going to be fun. Come on down. <laughs> so- <laughs> Folks, if you go to uh, www.keys100.com, it's a wonderful website with so much information, not just about the race, but how to prepare for it and and how to sort of just just make it a a special experience. Um, So we do highly uh, recommend and encourage you to participate. You can still enter for 2015, and uh, if your schedule is such that you can't get there in 2015, a bit like us, tied up with other events and things, but we're, we're certainly planning uh, for 2016. So if you can't get there for 15, then come along and, and run with us and everybody else in 2016. Yeah, about sort of roughly, the, well, presumably the third Saturday in May. Yes. Mm. So on that note, uh, Bob, absolutely a pleasure. You've been a wonderful guest and a wealth of information. We would have loved to talk to you for hours and hours more about the Keys 100 and your own exploits, but I'm sure for people who've listened live or people who now will be listening to the podcast that uh, if they weren't keen, then they'll certainly be even more keen to come and participate in the Keys 100. Definitely. 
thank you both very, very much for this. Uh, really was a lot of fun, and thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about the race and uh, with with your audience. Very kind. Thanks, Bob. And so we'll, I think we'll let Bob go while we finish off the show. Yes, yes, about. So best of luck for the Keys 100 this year, Bob. Um, we'll be watching from afar and um, enjoying it. And, of course, to, to your running exploits, <laughs> magnificent. We'll be watching those with a lot of interest as well. Mm. And to everybody participating in part of the Keys 100. To Jennifer Ann, we should give a special thanks for um, connecting, us, connecting yes. us with Bob. So yeah. thank you very much, Bob. Have a wonderful day and have a wonderful 2015 Keys 100. Thanks. Thanks to both of you. Good night. Good on you, mate. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Well, how wonderful was that? The Keys oh, 100. Yes. If uh, if I wasn't uh, 100% keen, if I was somewhere around 80% keen, I'm now 100% keen to oh, get was, down and participate. If you were 0% keen, now you would be It would be 100%, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So that is uh, fantastic. So we'll just do a little bit of a transition. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. Now, before we close the show, we should give a big shout-out to everybody who ran in the two oceans in South Africa on Easter Saturday last weekend. Uh, one of the, again, from... One magnificent event uh, on the world stage, the Keys 100, to another one there at uh, in Cape Town. Yes. Magnificent. And a lot of, uh, quite a few of our friends who um South African-based using the two oceans as part of their training up for the Comrades. So we're going to see them there on the last, I think it's the last day of May for this year's Comrades. And it's basically that's our reason between that and the Anzac 300 we're running this week. Uh, for not just, being in the just, Florida just Keys, just couldn't, couldn't fit squeeze, it in. Squeeze yeah. the keys on hundred. Funny in, about that. In between those, two. although what a trip that would have been. Yes. Canberra yes. for three hundred. Stop off in uh, Florida for a few weeks. We come back by South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. you can only dream. Uh, maybe in the future, but certainly, uh, well done to everybody who who ran two oceans, and um, and so on that that note, our final segment and close for this week's show, the road ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. A very, very busy, busy weekend of running. Some events that we have spoken about in the past um, include the Pyongyang Marathon in North Korea is finally here with uh, internationals being allowed to run at the last minute. But some events that we uh, also very much uh, fond of include the Sand Hollow Marathon in the US, another race director that we know. Justin over there Smith. in southern yes. Utah? Yep, over in southern Utah. Um, Canberra Marathon, which we have run before but maybe hoping to perhaps get to the start line but not getting ahead of ourselves. Um, also Paris Marathon, which is very close to our hearts, yes. is on next weekend too. Vienna Marathon which does take in some amazing scenery uh, around the city of Vienna. World-famous marathon Rotterdam is also on this weekend. Um, Brighton in the UK, the alternate event for those unfortunate enough not to be running the London Marathon, Brighton becomes sort of almost like a fallback marathon uh, 
just the week for London. Um, some other big events on uh, throughout the world. The Big D Marathon in Texas, very popular. Some very pretty events. De Cheverny in France, De Montebon in France. So Santiago in Chile, Milan in Italy. Um, we've also got some other events down in uh, well South America. The Patagonia Marathon in Argentina. The Galapagos Marathon as well. Um, so seemingly a great time of year to be running in that part of the world. In fact, the weather is picking up everywhere um, as we come into more of the middle part of spring and autumn. So, of course, the uh, Anzac Ultra is continuing on. Started yesterday and that is uh, continuing with the 300 event starting yeah, on so Wednesday. The, four, the 450 runners headed off on Monday uh, at 8am. Mm -hmm. We head off tomorrow on Wednesday at 8am for 300. And then there is the 150 people heading off on Friday morning. And of course, a unique addition that is the 75k one loop, which you can do either on Saturday, but you can also do it any other time. And so our, our game plan is simple: get to the end of the 300, uh, look after our day or two's rest, and then maybe butter up for the Canberra Marathon on Sunday. But that'll be a watch this space. I, thought, I like the way you said. Our plan is simple. <laughs> it's, it's simple. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for tuning into this. Uh, what's been, uh, oh, I think it's been a wonderful uh, edition of the Partner Running Show. A huge uh, thanks to Bob Becker, race director from the Keys 100. Um, been fantastic to talk to Bob mm. about, about what is a, a quite a spectacular event, a great event and a great vacation afterwards. Definitely. Um, to uh, the people who tried to call in, I'm not sure what I did wrong there with the technology. A big apologies to those who posted questions and things. Fantastic. And if we didn't answer your question, then I think if you go to the um, Keys 100 website and or Facebook, you can then find ways to send your questions through to Bob and his team. And I'm sure anything that they didn't, Bob didn't answer today, they would be more than happy to, to answer you and it's for you so on that note uh, a big thanks Sue thanks to Bob uh, thanks to everybody and we'll see you next week on the Partner Running Show over and out this is where it's a shame of copyright we should have some Jimmy Buffett music <laughs> yes. anyway. something like that you're listening to the Partner Running Show with your hosts Couple on the Run Sue and Andrew O'Brien proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine.